maybe a little bit more reviews the problem with that. It's one of those days where I need a little extra protection. I have no idea what's about to happen. <laughs> but before I get to the craziness that's going on in the world right now, let me just say there's a few people I want to welcome. And no, this isn't the right voice. Oh, I, this is interesting. Oh, this is interesting. I'm seeing some people right now are already getting here for the drama that's about to take place on this show. But before I do, let me talk about my lovely sponsors. Not the guys who gave me this stuff. We'll talk about them in just a second. But the guys who gave me these right here and some other things too. Newhearttreasures.com. Go check them out. Lovely sponsors. They're doing a lot of business right now. And if you didn't get Christmas presents from them to give to everybody else, what's wrong with you people? Get something with some Bible verses on it that you can give to folks. All right? Uh, NewHeartTreasures.com is my favorite mug. Everybody should have one of these for Christmas. Oh, hold on. That's not coffee. That's energy drink, people. All right, so let me tell you what's going on. So right now, something new happened today that's pretty amazing. I'm really excited about it, and I'm going to go over there and try and check on it while we're talking. So on Instagram... They have allowed your software, this particular software that we use to be on every platform, which we're on Facebook, on my Facebook channel, we're on Cross Politics Facebook channel, we're on uh, the YouTube channel right now, and we're on Twitter video and uh, Twitter spaces as well, uh, and we're on Rumble, and we're on Instagram. Now, this is really exciting. I've not been able to live stream anything on Instagram in oof, a couple years. They tried to do some live streaming back in the day didn't work out so well because they didn't want multi-streaming sites like the one we use to be on their platform. They wanted people to stream from their phone so they can have more of an organic experience. Well, they they started losing that battle. <laughs> they were like, maybe we should give it to the streaming services so they can, uh, you know, we can have more people streaming on the show. So we're streaming over there on Instagram. So I want to say what's up to everybody on Instagram. And I want to reiterate the rules. You guys are more than welcome over there to engage in any of this conversation we're about to have because we're going to talk about it all. We've been talking about Family Fridays, how this connects to the civil government, what the church's role in this, how does it play a part in this. We've been talking about Christian nationalism, and I think the right application of what it looks like to care uh, about your country. What does that look like? Well, we want to call it civic covenanting. So we're going to talk about that. So you guys are the perfect time because we're actually getting to the civic side of the conversation. But on Instagram, if you want to join on this conversation, there are some rules that you have to play by. You must have shared, liked, or engaged in some way with this post. On Instagram, it's a little hard to share, so I, I, I get that part. But at least like it. If you have not liked it on Instagram, you come from Instagram, you want to enjoy this conversation with us, maybe talk to us. I'm putting up a link right now. I just copied it. I'm about to send it over to you guys. Uh, here we go. If you guys want to talk to Mr. Reese about anything in this conversation, Jesse Hughes just joined. Hello, sir. Good to see you. There's the link. You can only engage with that link if you have shared this show. If you're on Spaces right now, and I see you out there, and you want to talk, you want to engage with this, you got to have shared this show. If you haven't shared the show, I'm not letting you in, or I'm going to stop you from uh, engaging with us. So without any further ado, the man of the moment, <clears throat> the myth, the legend himself, Mr. David Reese here with me, not necessarily in studio, but with me across the studio portal. <laughs> How you doing, Brother, thanks, for thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. It's an honor to be here. Okay, so the last time we talked, we were going to be talking about the form of civic covenanting. 
right? The form of, a, can I call it a Christian government? Right. Yes. Okay. But since then, something really, really amazing has happened in the last time that we've talked. There's a, there's a, um, in Iowa, there was a satanic rituals uh, altar put up inside of their capital, Iowa capital. And since then, it was put up. Everybody was a little outraged about it. And Christians have been going back and forth on whether it was not okay to allow this to even be in the Capitol building. Some said, hey, listen, we don't like it, but it, we're, uh, um, we allow other people to have freedom of speech, freedom of religion, uh, so on and so forth. And so this whole fallout. And so there's a guy who came in there, Michael Cassidy, and was like, you know what? The spirit of Boniface overwhelmed this fellow, and he got dangerous and took out the what was a, a kaleidoscope head or whatever of this supposed <laughs> ritual and the just, disco ball the of, disco a, ball. of a <laughs> sacrifice of ever were one. <laughs> That's right, and he just decapitated this Joker, and I believe turned himself in uh, right. as well. And so there's and it, and right now it looks like, and I'm waiting to see. I think we're going to talk to him on the show. Monday on Cross Politics, we're going to talk to him Monday. That show dropped Tuesday. And so we'll talk a little bit more about it. But it seems like they've just dogpiled on this guy with more and more accusations against him since that moment. But he's just like, look, I don't think these things need to exist, particularly in this space. No satanic forms of worship in our Capitol buildings. Now, the other side of this, Now, this would this would be different if it was just a pagan, but we have a Baptist minister by the name of John Dunwell who goes on the Twitter and starts telling everybody kind of how this happened and how this came to be. And then while he says he doesn't like the idea that we have this satanic um, altar at the Capitol, he doesn't think that there's really anything they could do about it. What was interesting is in his tweet that he posted about this, he said they wanted to actually use a goat head, but we said no. <laughs> just that would be that would be too far, <laughs> too far. You know, worshiping Satan, fine, but no but goat head. Goat head, too far. How how could we how could we possibly cross that line? Right. I mean, uh, um, Peter was happy. So he said, yeah. <laughs> so he says, yeah, Peter. What exactly? He says displays are permitted to be displayed for two weeks. All displays are required to communicate. Um, they are an independent display and not to be associated with the state of Iowa. It's in the Capitol building. Right. How mm. The Iowa legislator can set the rules and standards for any displays. The current operating principle has been to either allow all displays or none at all. Okay, right there. What, 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 do you, what say you so far? So, so this guy is a minister of the gospel and he's a magistrate right and he's like i don't have the public authority to do anything again i mean like what like like unless it's, unless it's a goat head right when a goat head that one we we draw the line no goat heads it's not going to be not going to have any any animals being harmed in the production of this movie so okay so <laughs> so first of all killing a goat's not a crime you know what is a crime idolatry and you know what else is an even worse crime is when the magistrate participates in idolatry or approves it or praises it or allows for it or subsidizes it the only appropriate response to these guys when they were like we'd like to worship satan in the capitol building was to arrest them when they applied that would be the appropriate response. arrest them so what crime did they break uh, idolatry Mm. this is 
This is absurd. I mean, every state in the union. It. Hey, hold on, hold on, hold on. You got too many Christians out here being like, I'm sorry, this is exactly why we can't enforce the first table of the law, Mr. Reese, because of yeah. that right there. Yeah, yeah. So you've read the, the last quarter of the Bible. I would encourage you to read the first three quarters. Okay. Right. So, I mean, I mean, like, look, on a basic level, you have no way of defining a crime unless the Lord God Almighty reveals from heaven what a crime is, okay? This is perfectly timed for us to talk about the form of government and for us to talk about the authority of a government. But no man has a right to just say, I don't like this thing, so I'm going to outlaw it and I'm going to punish you with the sword if you don't obey what I like, Mm. okay? You know who defines what ought to be punished is God. He is the one who gives the authority. So if you read the New Testament and look for a list of crimes you will find that they are missing. If you read the Old Testament, you will find that there is an exhaustive list of crimes and the appropriate punishments for them. So if we want to chicken out on that and say that there's wisdom that's better than God's, or if we want to say the Old Testament God was mean, we're not believers, right? Like, like if we are afraid or ashamed of what the Bible says, then one, we either fear God, and we should, and then we want to obey him, or we are afraid of man, and we fear what the Bible says because it's likely to make it so we don't get invited to the next party, right? So nobody invites me anyway, so it's easy for me, right? But, but the, the Bible is the Word of God, and it teaches us what should be a crime. And, and there is no philosophically defensible position that you're going to have a, a way of defining crimes apart from just mere human will if you don't have divine revelation telling you what a crime is. Okay, this is a, I thought this conversation, what just happened was a perfect segue into talking about the form of Christian government, right? Um, because the part of what's inside of this, particularly for those who are not Christian nationalists, for those who are uh, seculars or those who are like Pastor John here, uh, is a separation here between the civil side and the the church or the religious side. And they're concerned of what type of nation will you have inside of a Christian nation that allows seculars who don't believe in your Christianity to live? Where do they get a fit in it? Do they, yeah, I mean, do they not get to enjoy the civic side of the government as well? So first of all, there's a difference between a criminal activity and a belief. The Bible nowhere penalizes beliefs mm, with criminal activity. That's really okay? good. That's really good. Work on that. So, it is not what you believe. The issue is you are responsible for things that you say and you're responsible for things that you do externally. So the putting up of an idol is to be resisted and the putting up of an idol is to be countermanded by the tearing down of that idol. Okay, so the appropriate response, you look at the kings that are commended, okay? God, God lists, he, he, tell, he, he knows, he knows our frame. He knows our weakness. So when he gives us all the history of the kings, he's like, this king was a good king. This king was a bad king. And he tells us to be able to judge them more easily. And all the good kings have this requirement. One, they support the true religion. Two, they punish the outward idolatry that is associated with the worship of false gods. They also punish, when you have the, 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 the best kings, they're the ones who also punish wrong worship associated with the true God. So they tear down the high places. Okay, so you've got, you've got the Baals and the Asherahs, that's the false gods, the punishing of the worship of them. You tear down the Asherah poles, you tear down the Baals, all that. Then there's 
the supporting of the true religion, helping it to you know make sure that it is not in a a place where it's not able to function, and then there is this idea of the penalizing of the false worship of the true God. So you just go re- go read the kings. Okay, there's the kings that are like, hey Hezekiah and King Josiah. These guys. They stop the false worship of false gods. They stop the false worship of the true God. They support the reform of the true religion. When you look at the other kings that are listed as good, there's always like, oh, but they didn't tear down the high places. And that's the failure to make sure that there's an encouraging of the true worship of the true God and a penalizing of the false worship of the true God. And so that's, mm. that's the biblical report card for the kings. It's the principal thing it's focused on. And so the other issue that I think a lot of people are concerned about is is particularly in a society that is supposed to be respectable like ours. What? This is not how you do it. Like we have legislators, we have uh, governors and we have representatives who are supposed to represent us. And so going in. But they didn't. Hmm. Sorry, keep going. No, 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 yeah. I mean, yeah, you, you right. I mean, I'm just, I'm just. Hey, it's not. This is why I'm wearing this today, because in case you take some shots, I'm gonna be safe. Uh, uh, and so, but th- this is if people start acting the way that Cassidy acted in this particular situation. Who gets to say what stays up and what goes down? What happens when now you got trans people? And and cross dressing men running up in your church and and tearing up your altars like there is um, we we're in a respectable society that that we don't do those kind of things. There's a way. This is only going to last two weeks. Uh, why was this necessary? And where does it stop it? Are we going to start saying, "Oh man, abortion clinics"? That's next. We're coming after them next. How far does this go? And and what idols? You know, because hey, as far as you know, you got. Buddhist temples around, you know, uh, I saw Ron DeSantis come out and support Cassidy. And it was really interesting to me when he did, because he's like, I'm gonna put some money behind his, his fund for his lawyer fund. And I was like, he's like, because you don't get to worship Satan in, in here, right. In the civil environments. And, uh, and I thought that was really interesting. I was like, well, this is something Vivek can't say, <laughs> right. No, no idolatry here. Like Vivek can't defend Cassidy very well in this particular situation, at least not being consistent. It, that's how I feel sure. about it. But but what do you say to that, though? How at what level are, are we going to just start now a whole new mob that goes around destroying stuff? So what we need to do is we need to organize in a civil covenant to defend each other while acknowledging Christ as king. His word is authoritative. We define justice and liberty according to the Bible. And we see that biblical liberty is defended and biblical justice is executed. And if we have people who are, are civil magistrates who are doing their job and are stopping criminal behavior like the worship of Satan in the Capitol building, then we can have peace and order. When the wicked rule and they fail to deal with ongoing crime that's in their face, like For example, I want you to pretend that somebody's walking around the Capitol building just shooting people, okay? Mm -hmm. If that's happening and somebody says, look, it's only for two weeks, like, is is that that okay? 
And so we go, well, yeah, but that's shooting people. This is just the worship of God. Whoa. Which, which one matters more? The, the Lord God Almighty or the image bearers? Okay. Now, it's important that we defend image bearers. Okay, I'd be totally outraged with somebody committing violence in the state not stopping it on an ongoing basis. Like, for example, just pretend, I mean, this is outrageous to consider, but just pretend for a second that there were places where you could hire an assassin to kill your baby. And just pretend that there were people, like millions, like maybe even like a million and a half a year. Just like, I know this is outrageous, but just pretend for a second that you had a million and a half people a year going into the Assassin's R Us store and hiring an assassin to kill their baby. Okay? And then just pretend that the civil government didn't stop it. You might consider in that scenario that maybe there's a government that is totally failing to execute any sort of justice at all. And the thing that needs to happen is a basic organization at lower levels in order to see justice administered and liberty defended. And so in that, or- in that scenario where you thought there are only banditos over us and there aren't people that have lawful authority, in that scenario you might start to organize a civil covenant and to prepare to make it so that in the event that there were total chaos, you would then be able to more quickly deputize or be called up by some civil magistrate somewhere who was willing to rally the people to see good order put into place. Right? So that's just in the unimaginable scenario that we just talked about. Now, we're not going to this thing where we've got a Satan worshiper setting up a altar to Satan in the Capitol building, this would be an ongoing crime too, similar to ongoing execution of people in front of legal authorities, and even if the legal authorities protected them. And so what you might say is, we need some lesser magistrates to step in. For example, men who have taken an oath to uphold the Constitution, men who are officers, for example, of the military, or officers of the reserves, And so you might go, if a person walked up and is a lawful authority and they stand in the gap by taking authority that's higher than they'd ordinarily have, they come and they destroy that monument to idolatry, that would be a person standing in the gap. That would be a person coming in and seeking to see wickedness that's ongoing stopped. He's not taking vengeance into his own hands. He is stopping an ongoing crime. So there's a difference between going and taking vengeance for yourself or for others without due process of law. That's called vigilantism. But standing in the gap to stop ongoing crime is very different. It's not vigilantism if there's somebody shooting people in the mall and you get up and you stop that guy from shooting other people. That's not vigilantism. That's defense of other people. It's defense of yourself and it's stopping an ongoing crime. And cutting the head off of an altar to Satan is stopping an ongoing crime. You know, isn't the location of what's going on also very important where it's like, you know, the it's right there in your government, right? Like that's in the mm-hmm. building. It's, you know, you can't even walk into places without shirts and shoes on, right? <laughs> and our law is supposed to have some form of morality to it. And so they're saying, well, there is no morality here around this idea. You know, there was a friend of mine um his name is Ray Comfort. Uh, Ray saw a sign in his community. I can't remember if it was at a bus stop or a billboard, but he talks about this story where there's a naked woman up there, immodestly dressed. I think it was Victoria's Secret when they were doing their thing. And he, he basically goes, grabs a huge blanket from Walmart and a staple gun. And he climbs up on the top of this billboard and he staples, you know, everything that's showing revealing and then he goes and calls the authorities. 
And he says, I want you guys to know some maniac went and put a naked woman up who was dressed inappropriately than what might drive lustful men who don't have control of their passions to rape somebody's daughter around here. And so I fixed it. I ran up there and I put a staple, stapled the blanket right around all the new parts so that we can preserve our young girls. I just wanted you guys to know. So hopefully you can find the person who did it. The name should be on the banner. And I thought not only was this a bold move, like that's a bold move and it's a, it's a Boniface move, but it was also the rhetoric was fantastic. Yes. Right. And, and so I'm like, man, I've been thinking. And so we have to be able to do both of these well, and we'll see how all this plays out with Cassie. But I think it's a bigger question of the metaphysical realities of the government. What is the government? What is it for? Right. And so what I want to talk with you about now, so we, last week it was really interesting because, you know, we call it Family Fridays, but everything we've talked about on family is a civil issue in one way or another. You are Your kids are going to be involved in the civil environment for the rest of their life. You're going to be involved in the civil environment for the rest of your life. And the, one of the things that the civil environment can't do is control. It's not a thought police. It doesn't police thought. It actually polices crimes, physical things that take place and happen, right? And so... Um, but you have to have something or some some sort of institutions that police thoughts. Well, that's what the family is. You can't think of your sister that way. <laughs> then that will get you a spanking. You can't think sure. of you can no, you obey. And church in the same way. No, you need to love your neighbor. You no, you're in a church discipline, right? No table for you. What are you doing? This is wrong. Don't steal from your brother. Right? Um, don't think about him in this manner, right? That is a sin. And it's you can't do that. And so there's but if you don't have those two things and all that gets pushed into the civil magistrate and then they start controlling your thoughts, what you can mm-hmm. think about, what you can't think about. And so we've been rebuilding this, the whole Christian society from the, the rule of the family, the responsibility of the family, the responsibility of the church and all of this. And now we're at the part where, man, how do we get into the form of a Christian government that we want? Where, where do we begin? Right. So I think one of the things, you know, with this example of, of Mr. Cassidy and what he did, you know, I, one of the things I prayed for was that there was, that God would raise up some Jehoiada, you know, like the priest that helped to resist uh, a tyrannical government or a Josiah, um, a king that helped to bring reformation to chop down this particular idol. So the Lord answered that. Wow. And and he, this man was a, was a, and I, I, put I got some Twitter. prayers for you to pray if you, since yeah. you still, since you hot yeah. right now, since you got, since you hot with the rock, let me send you some prayers. <laughs> so, so my, my, my prayer immediately following hearing this was the Lord would raise up many other Jehoiadas and Josiahs to drop down the other idols. And so the way this relates is the household is the seminary for the church and state, mm. right? The, the, the household is where you raise up little princes. It is where you raise up priests. It is where you raise up the queens that will rule beside them, right? It is where you raise these people up. And if you're not going to rule a place um, uh, like a household where you have so much more control, if you're not going to rule that according to God's word, then you're certainly not going to have the guts to rule a church in a way where you've got you know church ladies yelling at you and you're trying to get their favor and you're going to deal with you know some relatively belligerent guy. Let's be real. I mean, all the belligerent guys have been pushed out of church. Right. So, uh, so if there's no, if you're not able to stand up to belligerent guys and you're not able to stand and you're not able to stand up to church ladies, uh, right. Then you're not going to see the church properly ruled. And in the state, there's going to be all sorts of people. There's going to be Marxists. There's going to be all sorts of crazies that want to take this power of the sword and use it for wickedness. So the easiest place to rule is the household. 
And if you're not willing to rule your household according to the Word of God, you are not going to rule the church, and you're not going to rule the state according to the Word of God. So the household is where it all starts. That's why we spent so much time on the individual and the household. And when we talked about the church, we spent a lot of time talking about the qualifications of an officer and what his house looks like and what his queen looks like, right? And so we, we deal with the civil magistracy, and we have to start with the idea of Exodus 18.21 that lays out the five qualifications of a magistrate. And I'm telling all of you, and I don't, Knox, I don't know if you agree with this or not, so you know, shoot back if you want, but it is a sin. It is a sin to nominate or vote for anybody who does not meet the qualifications for office in a public sphere when God lays out those qualifications. So, for example, if you vote for a man who doesn't have the qualifications of elder, for the office of elder, that's sin. If you vote for a magistrate that doesn't have the qualifications of a magistrate, that's sin. So what is it that's the qualification set? Exodus 18.21. He's got to be a man. It starts with, he's got to be a man. Two, he has to be competent. He has to be a man of valor. He has to have a kail is the Hebrew term. Mm. He has to love truth he has to fear God, and he has to hate covetousness. Okay, so he's a man of truth who fears God and hates covetousness. If you vote for somebody who's a socialist, they don't hate covetousness. If you vote for somebody who rejects the true God of the Bible, they don't fear God. So, if you vote for somebody who is not competent, <laughs> right, he doesn't have Kyle, right? That's an offense to God. David, I just can't vote then. Are you just telling me I can't vote for anybody in any, in any way? I'm saying if you care, what you're going to do is you're either going to you're going to be that kind of man so that you can run, mm. or you're going to find the men you know who are that kind of men and help to support them to run by saying I'm going to put my work behind you, my money behind you, whatever. So stop, stop just going. You know, here's the Hobson's choice that's being handed to you. You know, that's it. Like you're just stuck with it. No, you go and you help to be the kind of man that can run, or you help to the men who can run to run. That's why it's so important to have a household where you got money because you don't want to have to get money from IBM or whatever, like, you know, like whatever, you know, woke board or whatever you got to deal with. Like your goal is not to get some woke people to be willing to support you. Your goal is to see Christian money support Christian power. Mm. Okay. Can I, can I, I, I don't disagree with you necessarily, but I, this goes back to some of the conversation we were have, having on the issue of chaos. Sure. So I think, I want to be like, yes, and, (laughs) or kind of, because I think that there's moments, and I think this is what happens when you get yourself in bad situations like we have in our current situation right now in America, where the people that we have that are our best options, unfortunately, are, you know, have a a speck of residue of Christianity that used to exist in this country, right? And we have the option of allowing— someone or groups of people who are absolutely horrible for our country and horrible for our economy and complete. Now you might like this because you don't mind hastening the destruction for resurrection. So I know that, (laughs) but you already see where I'm going though, right? There is a point where it's like, okay, strategically, this is your only options in order to persevere while you build something. And so people aren't necessarily voting because they're, um, they're, proud of or supporting what it is they have they're voting because of another reason behind that and so yeah i i could not 
support an elder who was not qualified to be an elder. I could not support a deacon who wasn't qualified to be a deacon. And yet I do know if I had to go back and plant a church where I came from, I would have to have interns or what uh, what do you call them when they're in um, in between or somebody. I would have to have some sort of something that builds to get there until I have qualified men, until I build up qualified men. Right. And so there's some sort of in between thing that happens when you're in chaos where your options aren't as clear or clean as you would like them. But once you get there, not to be there. Yeah, of, of course. But getting there, it, there's I, 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 as a Puritan, I know you're going to hate this. There is a process where it's not pretty, it's not clean, it's ugly, it's not ideal, and yet it's something God can use temporarily. Sure, God can use the stuff, but let's not put our hand to creating the bad situation. What I'm saying is this. I agree. If we we refuse to vote for anybody who's not qualified, you know what's going to happen in Republican primaries real quick? The the electability conversation is going to change. The electability conversation looks like this right now. We can't elect your person because then middle America won't vote for them. We go, that's fine. We make up the majority of the Republican Party, though. So how about this? Why don't we apply the Bible here, and then we'll just make sure that you know if you ever nominate Republican candidates that don't meet God's qualifications, they're going to lose half the base. So they're going to mm. lose, too. So you, right? you're talking about doing kind of what the the radicals on the left have done, where it's like, okay— we need them in order to be able to have some sort of semblance of control in the country. If we're going to get them, we're going to have to give them thus. So, right. So that we become, so we become the ones who've covenant. This is why you're talking about why we need to covenant together that yep. we work this way, because then the type of weight that we have actually puts pressure on the rest of our party or group to say, if we want to win, we make them feel like if we want to win, then we better lean in with these guys. Otherwise we're going to lose any kind of control our minimum requirements become a given. Mm. They know if they want us, oh, they have good. to meet our minimum requirements. So we covenant to uphold it so our people don't break off. And then they, our minimum requirements are very plainly laid out. Now, the problem is um, that we don't believe that a resolute minority is able to transform a nation. Yeah, but, we've, watched, we've watched the LGBTQ legitimate equality right. movement do all this hard work and liberals, far left liberals, do all this hard work and we're like, ah, it's not possible. Right. I mean, they, they've done that for Satan. What can we do for Christ? Right. So, so if, if we can turn the world upside down, if 12 apostles were able to turn the world upside down, what can we do? Uh, are there millions of us? I mean, we can turn the world upside down. So let's stop compromising. Okay. This is, this is not pragmatic. This is stupid. Mm. This is stupid. For us to, to compromise is for us to go against God and ask for his blessing. The most pragmatic thing we can possibly do is to obey his law, to apply it here. If we want to have political victories, let's be like Hezekiah. When the Assyrians surround our city and they have 120,000 soldiers and they mock our God and say, oh, are you going to obey? Are, they, are you going to obey your God? you think he's going to save you? None of the gods of the other nations saved them. When Hezekiah took the threats, the mockery of God. He put it before God. He put it on the altar and he prayed, Lord, they're mocking you. Let them mock us for God's law. That's how we win, right? Mm. Make them mock us for God's law. That's our objective. That's the goal. Our goal is to behave in such a way that they mock us for God's law. And then we can look to God and say, Father, did you hear that? They are mocking us for you. 
Will you, will you intervene? Will you save us? Will you glorify your own name here? Mm. And so that's what we want. Our goal is for everybody to tell us how ineffective and how useless we are because of the specific precepts given to us by the Lord God Almighty. And then he will cause us to ride the high places of the earth. All right. So what's on your tablet over there on your pieces? I know you got a list of things to get us to start organizing some of the, the details of this conversation, because I got more stuff to say about that. I think that's really that's good. But I, I, I don't I want to at least get through some of the things you have on your pamphlet. OK, so when we think about the basics of the form of government, OK, here's the issue. Everybody's got some like grand utopian scheme where they're like, well, what I would do. I would make sure that 2.3% of the economy went into subsidizing sidewalks that would help people to move. And that would help the economy because blah, blah, blah. So like, we're not going to make things up. Okay. So what form of government does God give? That's the basic question. What form of government does God give? If you don't have any idea what the Bible says about civil government, then guess what your opinion is worth? Nothing. I do not care. I do not care what you have made up. I don't care what wicked ideas have come from your heart for the tyrannical utopia you want to build. I don't care what ideas Satan gave to you. I don't care what you picked up from Marx. I don't care what you picked up from John Locke. Some of the stuff John Locke has is really good because he took it from his Presbyterian covenant or parents. Okay, but some of it, less good. And so the parts that are good are the parts that, cut, that overlap with what the Bible says. So we have to judge all political philosophies by the Bible and the Bible alone. It is the authority. So I want to present to you here are the six basic ways that anybody tries to justify a political order. Oh, man, you hold on. You know, hey, you know, every Baptist right now just lit up because whenever somebody come out with six ways to do this or seven ways to do that, they know they about to get it because we can't follow instructions just from good exegesis. They got to have step one, step two. Everybody just got excited. Get your pens out. Are you sure you're still Presbyterian? Because <laughs> Presbyterians don't give list of like one. Two. They don't ever write them like that. All right, six ways. The Bible has lists. All right. So, okay. okay. So, the first view is to say, okay, here's the basic question of political philosophy Who should rule and what power should they have? Mm. Here's the anarchist answer You know who should rule? Nobody. And you know what power the state should have? None. Right? So, that's the basic answer. So, Everybody, we all laugh at that and we all move on. But I, like as Christians, let's, let's take this challenge seriously for a second. What right does one man have over another to order him to do things and to threaten him with the sword if he disobeys? Hmm. And so, Knox, if you come over and you just try to like, you come to my house and you say, David, start doing the stuff I want you to do. And I say, I don't want to do that. And you take out a sword and you're like, obey me or I will kill you. Right. What, what is that called? Yeah, that's tyranny. <laughs> okay, great. So, so you don't have the right to just come into my house and tell me how to do everything, right? right? Right. So if that's the case, if we all take that seriously, we're all going to say, okay, man has not been given a general dominion over man. Mm. God gave dominion. We walked through this in detail. We went through this. We read Genesis. We did, we did the thing, right? So God gave dominion by, for man over the creatures that were not man. And then we saw some authority that was given in the household over particular people, not everybody, the wife, the children, servants, okay? Then we saw the church, and we talked about how there's a limited authority in the church, and we're looking at the state. What's the limited authority of the state? So there has to be somebody somewhere who's given authority, and if God hasn't given the authority, the state is just usurping, okay? Mm. So that's the problem. That's, anarchists have a serious challenge here. If somebody walks in and says, you must obey me, and if you don't obey me, I'll kill you, 
right? And that's the basic threat of the state. Then that person is just a tyrant. They're a usurper. So this is a real problem. So the rest of political philosophy is an effort to answer the objection of anarchists. So the, the first answer that's typically put forward is, well, on a basic level, anarchy doesn't work. Okay, and so everybody goes, okay, well, uh, all right, so, so what's your answer then? And so the people that like to come forward with the pragmatic answer, this is sometimes called realpolitik, mm. is just, well, power comes at the end of a gun. Somebody's going to rule, and, you know, when you have an anarchic society, an anarchic society is going to result in somebody somewhere accumulating some wealth, accumulating some power, and they're going to start forcing other people to do stuff. And frankly, this is what happens in the pre-flood world, right? You just have people starting to commit violence and stealing stuff from each other, right? So this is the world before government. It's just you get pre-flood world, right, which is, which is basically the world gets filled with violence. So you've just got warlords ruling over each other. That's the functional reality. And so if we're going to have that, we might as well try to make it nicer rather than less nice. That's the realpolitik version. So Mao says, you know, power comes at the end of a gun. Maybe he's right. But if that's the case, then the state is not moral, and the Anabaptists are right, right? That we shouldn't participate in government as Christians because it's just evil. That's not the answer. The, the scriptures are very plain. They talk about principles for government, and God establishes government. So that, that's, those are both false. Anarchy is false. We can go to Genesis 9. We can see the sword given. Realpolitik is false. It's not just a pragmatic exercise of power. So is there something else? Okay, before you jump to something else, I want to make this very clear because you said this and I want to make sure people can find it. We have been talking about this conversation with Mr. Reese for months now, and I'm putting it right now inside of the link so you can go and find them on YouTube. Um, I just posted it on the thread inside of your uh, if you're watching on uh, YouTube or if you're watching on Facebook um, I'll try and post it on X2. You can go to our playlist right there, Civic Covenanting. Matter of fact, if you Google Civic Covenanting, do you know that we own the center on that? Like, Boom. Because yeah. <laughs> nobody else strategy. is talking about it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, that we just win in that. So you can find all the other conversations where we break down the family, the, the, the responsibility of a husband to be a prophet, priest, and king in his home, and the wife to be the prophetess, priestess, and queen of her home. How the man then is supposed to be officers of the church and how their wives with them, right? And so the, the, the man of the church, the pastor, prophet, priest, and king, deacon, prophet, priest, and king, what do those duties look like and how they operate out? within those offices of the church who gets elected to those offices right um right. men right um and then the the duty and responsibility of their wives to help them in this process what does that look like how does that work what is the value of the home in this whole conversation and how what is the what is the one thing that the woman does in the home that no one else can do oh and so if you want to catch up on the conversation that we've been having for months now, there's a link in the comments thread that I just sent. You can go find the, the conversation on Civic Covenant that we've been having every Family Friday. All right. So the third thing. And real quick about that. I know we did a few of them that were on Spaces before we were doing video. Yes. And so I know you've got links for that, and I've got them up on my on my X page as well. It's just the old ones that we started out there. So there's, I, there's the audio ones too, and those are I some of the early those. ones. Yeah, you know, and that's the other thing I want to say. Go follow – Real David Reese on X. Go follow him. I'm trying to get this man to get involved in X more. But he's fun to follow. Great pithy comments. And it, he, when he does decide to, to X, message, comment, it's great. Go follow him so I can encourage this man to stay on X and get involved a lot more. All right, so we're at number three. 
Okay, so we've talked about anarchy. We've talked about realpolitik. So n- neither of those are defensible from a Christian perspective. And so what we have is people put forward this doctrine of natural law, right, which comes out of Thomas Aquinas and Aristotle, and, and it's really popular. And amongst the Christian nationalist crowd, a lot of people are trying to put forward a natural law view. And I, I got to say, natural law view is not the Christian view. We don't derive our knowledge of what we can coerce people to do from looking at nature. It's just not there. It's not a part of it. It's given in Genesis 9 as a part of the covenant of grace to Noah. It is a part of special revelation. It is not something that's derivable by staring at, you know, at nature and picking up, oh, that's the definition of a crime. It is not available there. And so— Well, and I just want to say, too, um, you don't—in natural law, you don't get when you know justice is met. Right. You might know this. You might get some sort of understanding of like maybe what things might be wrong, but then you don't know how to meet to meet justice. What level cutting off a hand, beating him with the pole, cutting off an ear, cutting off. At what level do you know inside of natural law when justice has been met? And and it's all, all the guys who are in natural law who are good guys who I love, who are my friends. They always find themselves back to scripture at the end of the day, arguing for it. And so I always feel like and I'm sorry to interrupt you here. Mr. Mm-hmm. Reese, but just natural law it, it's one of those things. It's like when you have a heritage that's been handed down to you because it's been Christians who've been building it, you embrace right. that with it, but it's not the thing that gives you your ultimate definitions for justice and what it is. But you can see how your brothers and your forefathers have used um, that understanding along the way, the ones who have done it properly. And you can see where they really messed up. <laughs> right. You know, right. And, so. and a lot of these guys want to say, hey, look, you, know, you can find Calvin talking about natural law and all these other people talking about natural law. There are four definitions of natural law. One, you get it from observing nature. Two, you sit around in a Dutch oven reasoning by yourself and by necessary consequence can derive the nature of man and you can find the, what's a crime and what the just penalties are from it because you're just you know, you're reasoning so powerfully from it. And, and without observing the world. And then the third one is you have right feelings, so like romanticism, where like mm-hmm. you know, naturally my intuition helps me to know what kind of justice I should give. Uh, and then the, the fourth one is what's called reformed natural law, which is that there's a law of God written on the heart of man, and it's been corrupted by the fall, but that the, the, the law that's written in the heart of man is shown to us in its proper uncorrupted form in the scriptures. So guess what? If you hold to reformed natural law, you need to go test your heart feelings or your heart intuitions or your what you reasoned in the Dutch oven or what you observed on your safari, and you need to go compare it to what the scriptures teach. Okay, so you hold to that kind of natural law, fine, I do too. But, but what I'm tired of is people walking around pretending like everybody who ever said natural law means Thomist natural law. It doesn't. John Calvin was not saying Oh, I agree with Aristotle and Thomas Aquinas that if we look at stuff, we can, from experience, derive accurately and infallibly the proper definitions of good and evil and what's just and what crimes should be punished and all that kind of stuff. That is not Calvin's position. That's not the historic reform position. So, Did you get that off your uh, chest? you feel better now? I do. I feel so much better. I feel so much better. You know, I feel like I just chopped the head off of an idol. It feels real great. Can we make this a thing? Can we just, can we just like from now on talk about cathartic moments and be like, I feel like I just chopped the head off of that idol. Can we just make this a thing? You know, I have to tell you, natural law is a lot easier to embrace than the actual hard work of working through the scriptures for wisdom on how to deal with justice. Right. Like that, 
it's much easier because like you said, you can kind of feel and you can just work your way through. And, and then what happens is history kind of becomes your case law instead of like, okay, right. I need a case law that is inspired. Right. Like, and I'm not saying that it can't be helpful, but you have to know what the ultimate standard is and where justice is met out at. And you can only do that through the scriptures. If you're seeking to have a justice system, like one that honors God. All right, enough. Go ahead. Right. Absolutely. So, so natural law, if you're going to go to Aristotle, go to Thomas Aquinas, go to, you know, John Locke, whatever, and you're going to try to go from experience, you're going to say, you know, oh, well, you know, there's man, but man doesn't really live well by himself. So maybe he needs the family. And you look at the family as the basic unit of society. And here, look, there's a, there's a man and he's ruling the family and he can beat everybody up. So everybody's got to obey him. So therefore you got like a monarchy there. And then, you know, but a family can't really survive on its own all that well. And so maybe the city is the basic unit of society. And maybe the household and the individual are just subcomponents and subsidiaries. And so maybe, you know, they're like fingernails that when need to be clipped off from the body politic, maybe the nature's teaching is that we should choose the many rather than the few, mm. right? So you know, this is the general tenor of what you find in a lot of this stuff. And so fascism very frequently will appeal to this. And that, that sounds like I just made a like, abusive ad hominem where I'm like, well, fascists sometimes support natural law, therefore natural law is bad. That's not my point. My point is, how do you avoid that? My point is, what, where, where are the hard lines? Where are individual rights? And how do you know plainly what your duties are by looking around at nature or by trying to derive from human nature apart from scripture what is good for man or, or some other nonsense like that or feeling it out? Well, what if my feelings and your feelings contradict? I what if my observation? Okay, great. Yeah, me too. So that's the mean, right? So this is, this is the, the problem with natural law is you typically end up with some sort of an organic view of the state where man is a part of the body. And so it's very difficult to avoid a collectivist outcome, and it's very difficult to have clear definitions of rights, crimes, and just penalties. Those things are not derivable from observation of nature or sitting around by and imagining stuff under the blanket trying to imagine a utopian state. You can't get that apart from Scripture. So natural law, moving off of that, social contract. Mm. This is one we all love. What, you know what social contract is? It's the doctrine of the civil covenant where we remove covenant and we just make it a thing between men. That's what social con contract is. Okay. A covenant is a bond in blood sovereignly administered. It's, it's a, it's a, it's a, an oath established obligation and it has life or death consequences and it's defined by God. And he tells us how the administration of it works. That's what the civil law does. It tells us that. Okay. And if you want to do it without that and you want to make it a contract then guess what? The contract is you and me figuring out what it is that we want the state to do. Here's the problem with the contract. Nobody has a right to contract away things they don't have the authority to do. So, for example, David, if I take your house and I sell it to somebody else for 500 grand. Why are you grand, always taking my stuff and having me do well, work for you? you because, that I don't like the way this is set up. <laughs> look, look, I'm just, I'm just saying I want your house. That's all I'm saying. This is, can we, this is all a ploy to somehow try to get you to hand me the deed to your house. I, you'll, okay. you'll regret it. <laughs> <laughs> and my last example, you were coming into my house with a sword. I mean, what's wrong with you? you know? <laughs> Was it a cavalry saber? Like, what did you bring? Yeah. All right. So, so okay, well, fine, fine. I'm, so you're selling my house. How about that? So in this scenario, you're selling my house, and you, give, you, you, you contract away my house, okay? And somebody else gives you 500 grand for it, and you've got 500 grand, and you put it in a briefcase, unmarked bills, and you go to Tahiti. Now, in this scenario, you didn't have the right to sell my house because I owned it. 
You just because you contract something doesn't make it so. The contracting parties have to have the authority to do the thing. Right. Right. So so if you and I contract and we say, let's make a government that's going to punish people for this, that, and the other thing. Well, wait a second. Did I have the right to go around and punish those people already? Did you? Like, how did we make this contract? We don't have the right to do those things. So the taking of vengeance is not a right that individuals have apart from God granting it. Mm-hmm. It requires God giving it. So Genesis 9, we have God giving that authority, but we can't say we just naturally have the right to go avenging ourselves or avenging other people, right? So the power of the state to avenge comes from God. It requires divine revelation. Contracts can't just do that. And furthermore, contracts have to have all the parties opt into them. Okay, so so there's no you're never going to find some you know universal example of governments being formed through the formation of contracts. This thing, so the, the formation theory is a myth, and secondly, it's it's not a legitimate thing because we don't have the power to go avenge other people or ourselves, and we can't contract that authority to somebody else. Okay, so we get through anarchy, realpolitik, natural law, social contract. And so you go, well, okay, somebody's got to get the authority from God. And so kings like to say, yeah, I'm the one, the authority, and God gave me the power to decide. And so you have to do whatever I tell you. And so that's absolute monarchy, the divine right of kings. So we can go to God and still have tyranny. So what do we have that actually restrains tyranny? Divine law. It's not anarchy. It's not realpolitik. It's not natural law. It's not social contract. It's not divine right of kings. It's divine law. It's the civil law from God that tells us to know what things are crimes and what a just penalty for them is. And apart from that, we cannot answer the basic problem, the basic question of what ought the government to do? What should it punish and what penalties should it give? The other answers can't provide it. So... It seems that most people are somewhere stuck in between this purgatory of uh, social contract and divine law. There's kind of this mixture there. Do you see that too? Where I think people are like, well, so what is that? And then how do you even get to divine law when you don't have that? Yeah, so I think, I think the reason so many Protestants support social contract is because social contract is right about so much stuff. Because social contract is largely the development, in at least in our, in our tradition, you know, from pushing Lockean thought, which was just, let's take the covenanter theory of government and let's make it a contract instead of a covenant. And so we have all this emphasis on the rights of property and all that kind of stuff. And so there's an emphasis on the divine law. So the second table of the law kind of gets emphasized very carefully. Right, how you love your neighbor, it's emphasized very carefully there. So it sounds really good. And so we hear like Jefferson and we hear Locke and we go like, wow, lots of good stuff there. Second table of the law. And, but the problem is they're failing to deal with the first table. So we like a lot of it and we're thinking, oh, well, let's just hold on to that. But the problem is if we don't deal with the first table, the second table won't last long. Mm. <clears throat> you see that question up there? Where would the Nathans fit in? this for King. So I'm, I'm sorry, who's a Nathan? I'm not sure what a Nathan is. Yeah, I'm trying to figure that out too. Hey, uh, Charles, could you elaborate what your question is so we can answer it for you? I'm trying to understand. Yeah, and I am flexing this real. Since we since we have a little break, let me just talk about what I'm wearing. What am I wearing? The Testudo? This is a... That's, uh, the, that's the Invictus. Invictus. Ah, no wonder why I was looking at, I was looking at the wrong thing. You know, uh, so I just, you've been so kind to me. I think when you started sponsoring Cross Politic, you sent us all body armor. You sent us three different types. Now, tell me about the Invictus really quick, and where can I buy one? 
if I <laughs> if I don't have one. So the Invictus is meant to be uh, kind of slick. It's meant to be something that doesn't have you know a lot of 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 stuff on it. So it's it's this it's a tool that is designed to make it so that you can. It's designed to be jumpable, um, so you could you know potentially like jump out of a plane with it. It is designed to be something that is sort of full featured while still being very very close to the body. And so uh, what it's for is a full sized carrier that is going to make it so that you can move around and not get caught on stuff. So if you're dealing with stuff where you might be going in and out of buildings and in and out of vehicles or you're you know, jumping out of something, that's what you'd want to have. And so we find that a lot of the professional users really like it. Um, and so, yeah, you can go to armoredrepublic.com. You can get that. And that's my favorite carrier um, that we have. But the Testudo is the one that sells the most. And it's kind of the bigger one. And it has all sorts of other stuff where you can carry more on it. But uh, I think the Invictus is a great one. People should check out. I've been rocking this thing for at least an hour and a half, and I forgot about it until I look up and see myself in it. I'm like, oh, this is really – okay, Charles got back to us. All right. I'm still not understanding. Okay, so Weatherby room for leaders to hold higher leaders responsible – for their actions in what you're proposing. Okay, so it seems like, yeah, the idea like Nathan the prophet maybe is what he's referring to, coming yeah. to David with the, the thing. Okay, so... Yeah, um, would there be room for? Yeah, so, so, yeah, so absolutely. So what you have to have is you have a series of graded courts. You have federated or covenanted mm. courts that are joined together. This is the Presbyterian model. The Presbyterian model was the basis for the structure of the United States Constitution. And you see that also in Old Testament Israel in terms of the tribes being confederated together. And you have a, a central court of the 70 that's there. So, so that whole system, absolutely. So there's, there's higher magistrates and lesser magistrates. The higher magistrate should be able to come in and stop tyranny in a lower magistrate. The lower magistrate has to be able to rise up. It goes both ways, right? So that whole system, that whole system, the Protestant system, the Presbyterian system is something that, that we, we take for granted here because we got all of it out of the Reformation. Right, we got all of it out of the Bible, and this has been worked through and dealt with, you know, across you know, a couple thousand years, going into the Gentile sphere, right? Ever since, ever since the church becoming international, we have to deal with this. So, I mean, this is absolutely something that has to be dealt with, and we also see examples of this during the exilic periods, for example, where you've got lesser magistrates, you know, inter interceding and going between to deal with things like, you know, Daniel when he hears you can't pray, he's just like, all right, well, I'm going to get arrested for this, right? So, yeah, so I mean, th this idea of, of of the civil disobedience of the resistance. So, so the, yes, there's absolutely a place for that up and down, and and I think that we have. That's what I'm calling for. I'm saying, guys like this officer, who who was a reservist who went and chopped off the head of this Satan idol, uh, you know, was it Bama Bama? I can't even remember the name of the stupid fake god they've got. They all right? die. They all be forgotten right. anyway. Whatever, whatever this dead god is. Uh, the, the, you know, he chops off the head of this dead god, and that was glorious. It was a glorious move. Um, so you just worked through. Can you rehash just real quickly those six forms of government that you just went through? The, the and, six justifications for any sort of government. The six justifications for any form of government, and so anarchy and um. Real politique, I think is what you, how you said it. Yeah. Um, the difference between the two is one, but it seems you have those kind of two bump into each other, don't they? Because one is anarchy, everybody does whatever they want. The other one is rule by gun. But if everybody's doing what they want, then they're only ruling by gun, though, aren't they? Right. So, so, so the so the six are anarchy, real politique, natural, natural law, social con contract, divine right, 
or divine law, mm. right? So, so anarchy and social, uh, sorry, anarchy and realpolitik. Anarchists are going to say, like, historically, anarchists have actually been socialists. And they've been mm. like, what we need to do is we all just need to live happily together. And, like, you know, we'll all just work when we feel like working. And we'll just give each other all this stuff. And everybody will have everything they need. And there'll be sunshine and lollipops. And it'll be great. And then there's this other view that's, you know, anarcho-capitalism, uh, which, you know, Marie Rothbard has been a big advocate and promoter of. Um, and there it's sort of like, well, here's what we're going to do. There's not going to be any government. We're all just going to like make deals. And at the same time, there are rights that need to be dealt with. So we'll have like insurance companies. And, you know, if I kill you, the insurance company will come kill me. And so there we go. And it's like, wait a second. That's just, <laughs> that's just insurance companies of the government. Right. <laughs> right. And, and so, so this idea you can, you can try to take sin seriously and have insurance company government, like your claim was denied, or you can try to have this like, you know, lollipops and rainbows, anarcho-socialism, right? And they're both the nonsense. So the realpolitik view is essentially, yeah, anarchy, nobody has the right to rule, but somebody's going to. So let's just deal with that reality. Okay. So what else do you have? So we got those just six justifications for government there. <clears throat> what is the next phase of um, the form of Christian government. So then if we go, okay, divine law gives for us the form, okay? Then we're dealing with the reality that government is a covenantal institution, state government is a covenantal, inst covenantal institution, and the state is given to us by a transcendent authority with a defined hierarchical structure with an ethical framework delivered by divine law that is established by oath and therefore has blessings and curses associated with it and has a methodology for succession across generations. Okay, so does this map onto reality better? No, say, say that again. I don't even think you can say. It. Can you can you say that again? I can. Yeah. So Do it's it. given by it's given by a transcendent authority, right? God gave it. God gave right? it. Yeah. There's a, there's a hierarchical structure that's organized. That's the form of who rules. Right? Yeah. God gives that by law. He provides for us an ethical framework, knowing what the government ought to do and ought not to do. I what? just saw what you did. Theos. That's oh. right. That's right. Ah. Hey, you know what? That's you got to be in to know. Tell everybody what you just did. You got to tell everybody what you just did. Because this is this is this is like meta. What you just did was meta. So in in theonomic reconstructionist and whatever other you know pejorative you want to throw at us uh, circles. Or how about um, anybody? How about anybody? Right. Everybody right, so any, does it. Right. So what we what we've got is we've got this acronym Theos that stands for, and I can't remember who is this from. Was this originally from uh, uh, Ray Sutton? Jim Jordan Sutton. It was Sutton. Yeah, it was Sutton who did it. Okay. So, okay, so what you have is, <laughs> we have is, you have Theos is supposed to be a way, it, it, Theos stands for God in Greek, right? So T-H-E-O-S, and it's an acronym, and it's to help to memorize some of the aspects that, that covenants, not covenants in and of themselves necessarily, but all the covenants that God has instituted, that uh, they, all the covenant institutions have this associated with it. So it's always imposed by a transcendent authority, by God. It always has a hierarchical structure that is given where that authority is delegated. It always has an ethic assigned in terms of the rules of how it works, how it's supposed to be used. It always has, it's established by an oath, and therefore it always has blessings connected to the performance. It always has curses associated with the breaking. And then it always passes by succession through generations. Okay, so that's the, that's theos. So, so only Christians have a reasonable basis to deal with states in that way, but we have all those attributes there. We have that theos connection you know, uh, with 
you've you've laid out what the Christians have in this, and I, and maybe I'm wrong, and so you can tell me if I'm wrong. But what Christians have in this is the right God in the right order, because um, what I've seen is that, and some Christians, should I say, this group of Christians are, that we are, <laughs> but I think I think I don't think everything is in. That's the inescapable reality when it comes to civil government, right? So who's in charge? Who who's the hierarchical structure is there? You know, mm-hmm. um, what are the ethics of it? Right. Wh- what are you agreeing to be a part of? And then what's the future of this is a right. part of every form of covenant that's even, hu- husband and wife church. Right. And, and even the civil magistrate, it's like you can't escape that reality in one sense, especially in the civil side of it. There's always going to be a God of the system. And everybody hates to talk about this. But the God mm-hmm. of the system then sets up the hierarchical structure. And what people are so ticked off about right now is, is the fact that they feel they haven't felt the God shift. What they're feeling is the legitimate hierarchy coming into place. Right. What's the uh, I, I don't know what that was, but that sounded fancy. Uh, legitimate LGBTQIA plus. Oh, like, man, I thought it was like French or something. I was like, I was like, ooh, David. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, wait, tell, teach me, oh teacher. You know? I, it, it, you know what? This I do that for a reason because it makes it sound far more important than it actually is, right? <laughs> oh man, that's great. <laughs> and so, but we feel the hierarchical structures moving in on us, and we're like, "What's going on?" And we're all trying to fight the hierarchical structures because we feel that we're losing our authority as parents. We're losing our authority as Christians. We're losing. And, and, but what we haven't paid attention to and why so many Christians missed it with Cassidy is that there is another transcendent being put over the system. And that yeah. transcendent is going to, and, and it's false transcendent, by the way, it's mm-hmm. just I, idolatries. It's just idols. They're not, you know, anyway, um, they're demons. <laughs> That's what we're dealing with. Mm-hmm. Um, and we are feeling the pressure of it. Who are we going to make, give our oaths to now? What's the yeah. future of that system if the LGBTQ legitimacy gets a the gets a chance to be the hierarchical structure that we have to go and appeal to? Look how they're doing with um was the ESG scores, right? We're mm-hmm. feeling that whole thing push in on us, and we really get to feel it at the hierarchy. That's where you really feel it at. And after I mean after that. The laws and stuff, you can't say this, can't say gay bill, can't say all this other stuff, which you can't do, comes into place. The ethics of that situation come in right after the hierarchy has been replaced, and we're feeling it. Okay, anyway, that's that's great. Okay, go ahead. What, what, what? And one, one, one last thing about this guy chopping off the head of that thing. I mean, so I want to read question one away to the larger catechism. I want to re- read a couple of glorious little uh, lines out of this. Okay. Leave it to a Presbyterian. <laughs> Okay, so the duties required in the second commandment are the receiving, observing, and keeping pure and entire all such religious worship and ordinances as God has instituted in his word. There's the positive, right? But watch this. At the very end, I'm skipping over some stuff, okay? The very end of 108 in the larger catechism, it has this little glorious line. It says, as also our duty is to provide the disapproving, detesting, opposing all false worship, and according to each one's place and calling, removing it and all monuments of idolatry. Okay, so I just want to point out this guy literally moving a literal monument to an idol, right? So this is fantastic. So, but yeah, so this is the God of our system, is the God who has a monopolistic claim on truth and power. And he gives us power in his law, 
right? So, so this is how we get our justification for how to rule is out of the law of God. What is it that we ought to do? And so we have that theos system, and uh, as opposed to the legitimacy uh, regime. <laughs> All right. I, I took us down a complete, like, <laughs> you, you, you did that and I didn't even see what you were doing. It was so smooth and the way that you put it all together. Could you, could you go through that again about the government and, and the structure? Because I, I just saw what you're doing. I was like, Oh, everybody has to see this. And because, <laughs> but it, it's something that should be ingrained in how we think, because sometimes when we're dealing with things, we forget to ask, which God seems to be the one represented here. Instead, we fight against the hierarchy thinking if we can just get the hierarchical structures that we'll win. And that's why we have so many Christians saying, guys, forget about the first table of the law. If you do, you lose the transcendent part of the hierarchical structure. Like, you don't, you lose the relationship and who's supposed to be in place. You lose all of that. You lose the ethics. You lose the promises. You, you lose the oaths. All that stuff gets applied to someone else and something else and idolatry seeps in so that what it means now to love your neighbor is not loving your neighbor because they're made in the image of God, which God, right? That's the whole purpose right. of that law. Love your neighbor as, because he's made in the image of God. Well, what does that mean? What does that look like? Well, you got to have the first table of the law to apply that. All right. Absolutely. So work through that again. You don't have to explain the theos now, but just the, those, was it five points of, right. of, of, a, of Christian government? Right. So a Christian government, you know, we have a justification in divine law, right? We can, avoid the, the, we can avoid the pitfalls of usurpation in anarchy or realpolitik. We can avoid the nonsense of natural law and the dangers of a collectivist system that comes out of that. We can, we can avoid uh, the pretenses of social contract and the lie that we can contract vengeance power when we don't have the power ourselves to contract it out. And we can avoid the tyranny of an absolute monarch by divine right, who's just picked as, oh, you're the king by God. And what we have instead is, is divine law. And so therefore, we can defend a transcendent authority that is not just man, but it's God revealing in his word. And then the hierarchy is established in terms of the form of government by what God has instituted in terms of his institutions. And we have the methodology for selecting officers as a part of that law order and the fact that there should be a republic with a distribution of authority across multiple persons. In addition to that, we know the ethic of how a government ought to operate, mm. including what justice is and how it ought to be administered, what due process of law looks like, because we have that in the Bible. And then we know that there's an oath where there's blessings and curses for the breaking or keeping, right? The blessings for keeping and the curses for breaking. And so you, you administer oaths to the hierarchy to apply the ethic according to the authority of the transcendent one. And so that we have a, a higher authority to point to, but we also have a basis for oaths in terms of who we're swearing to and also what we're swearing to do. And we know that there's a God in heaven who we can appeal to who will actually bring providential judgments and cause things to work out. And then lastly, there's a successive continuation across generations where future generations are bound by the covenantal order instituted by God and where you don't have to have this like, oh, you know, the government becomes illegitimate as one generation dies or whatever. There's, there's a succession. So we, this makes sense of the world. And, and functionally, the natural law that's written on men's hearts make it so that we can't even avoid operating in this way. 
right? And so, so mm. we can't we we can't avoid it. There's going to be a god of the system. There's going to be a hierarchical order. There's going to be definitions of right and wrong and right. justice and crimes and criminal punishments. There's going to be somebody that we're pledging allegiance to, and there's going to be a view of the way world works and who gets what blessings and what curses. And there's going to be some way in which successors take over. This this is unavoidable. And so we have a law order for all of it that makes sense of everything and that takes into account all the difficulties, including the need to avoid chaos and anarchy, but also the need to avoid tyranny. And so we have these systems of checks and balances and order and law and transparency and all of that so that we... We don't have all the problems of the other systems of government. And Western civilization is better than other civilizations insofar as it has more approximated what the Bible teaches than other civilizations, which is why it has more fruit. But it is you know, declining. We're tearing it apart. And what we need to do is stop the decline, see reformation, and see the divine law used for the public life. What else is on your sheet? Because I don't have you for much longer, but I want to make sure we get to as much as whatever you have on your sheet is better than anything I'm going to say. So So on a basic level, I want to give a little bit of this outline. And I don't know if we continue this next time or what you want to do. We'll figure out what we're going to do. Absolutely. Everybody says amen. Okay. So (laughs) so the form of government is, is, is what you have is you need to realize the Bible establishes for us and it lists for us, for example, in Isaiah, there's the, there's the separation of powers in terms of there's the legislative power, the executive power, and the judicial power. So God is our lawmaker. God is our king. God is our judge, right? That's what it says in Isaiah. And so that is the basis for the, the separation of powers. And what you find in the, in the Old Testament, for example, in the civil law for Israel, is you had courts made up. The legislative power was given by God. So he's given the law. So we don't get to make up laws. So then what we have is the, there's, this, there's this court of elected persons who sit together as representatives, and on this court, what they do is they make determinations, they make decisions in accordance with the law that's given by God, and they don't just do it by themselves, but they're elected, one per 10, one per 50 households, one per 100 households, one per 1,000 households, and it continues in that sort of ratio going up and a repeating sort of SAT test question. Now, you're not, you're not just saying that randomly. Tell everybody how you're making those number selections. Yeah, so Exodus 18, you have Jethro coming to Moses with the institution of the civil court system in Israel. And when he was a monarch over Israel, what was happening is it was not good for him or for the people, and everybody was going to be exasperated because centralized power is inefficient, not only because of the fact that even if you have an absolute monarch, he still can't make all the decisions fast enough. Anybody in management has gone through management or gone through decision fatigue. Right? right, where you're like, oh, I don't know. I, you pick what's for dinner. I don't even care. Just do, put do, something do, in front of me. Yeah. <laughs> and so, so this this thing like where Moses is doing decision after decision after decision, Jethro makes it so that there are multiple uh, judges that, that are elected on the basis of, of 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 proportions of ratios: one per ten household, one per fifty household, one per hundred household, one per thousand household. And you see those in repeated, you know, sets to make it so that there's a sufficient representation system that occurs in the tribal level, which is a, a federated you know, entity with certain rights. And then they had the, the joint court, the top court, the Sanhedrin, with 70 members on it. And that 70 was supposed to represent the whole confederation of the tribes. And so that's the federated system 
for the tribes of Israel. And the American federated system is based upon an understanding of that structure, trying to take the utility and blessing of that decentralization. So you have not only a separation of powers across multiple branches of government, and you see this in the system where you have the judges and where you have the law from God. And then furthermore, the executive power is exercised in sort of different levels where you have what's called a prince of a court who serves as sort of the person who's the moderator, who serves as sort of the executive power. He's elected to office, and then he's also elected by his peers. And you have a person keeping a record called a clerk or a scribe. And so you see the princes and the scribes are listed and talked about in the Old Testament a lot, and that carries over. So Presbyterian form of government has a moderator and a clerk to deal with those things. And so this idea of, of using those powers, and so the night watchman functions, the bailiff functions are done through deputized persons, and the person who deputizes has responsibility because they're the elected official. So what the deputy does, the person who's deputized them is obligated to either receive punishments because they failed to control those people, or they need to administer justice to the people they've deputized. So there's a responsibility to make sure that you are holding people accountable who are deputized, and you can be removed from office. And if you won't punish people who abuse power who are deputized, then you're held accountable because you're a person who's viewed as having sent them to do it, right? So there's there's all this these issues of agency and responsibility that are laid out in the law for us, and it works out so much stuff. And so these courts that have the power, we have all these rules of due process that are given to us for how we have to deal with it. You don't hear any charges without two or three witnesses. The charges have to be based upon laws that have already been laid out in the criminal law, so we know it's a crime. And the maximum penalties are given to us in the law, as well as certain minimum penalties, because some crimes are so heinous that to give less than that is not acceptable. And there's victim rights, so that the victim gets to choose whether they want to take up to the maximum, or they want to go down to the minimum, or they want to go someplace in between. And so the judge is hearing that out and making sure that the sentencing, as well as the verdict, are both just, that there's a crime of a law that already existed, and that there's sufficient evidence to convict the person of the crime according to due process of law, where that other person has the right to cross-examine witnesses, and to call their own witnesses, and to present their own evidence, and to challenge evidence, and to make arguments about process. And then the person, when they're found guilty, if they're found guilty, is then able to make arguments about the sentencing on the basis of the law of God. This makes it so we know what just crimes are, what just process is, who has the authority to do it, how are they selected by election from 10 households and then by election by the representatives at each level. And so you have this system where people know each other it's on a very local basis. There are magistrates that go from high to low. There's ability for people to step in. There's authority that's distributed. It's efficient because there's lots of courts. These courts are not necessarily full-time. There's all this beauty in the form of government that's given to us by God. And we think, yeah, let's just make it up again. So, so the, you know, what, no, it's, it's worse than that. It's worse than that. We don't just think let's make it up again. We do exactly what the children of Israel did when they got out of Egypt. Behold, this is the God who has saved you from. It's not like yeah. we just make it up again. We take all the beauty of God's system and then we apply that to an idol and we say, ah, <laughs> yeah, this is it. This is the thing that has saved us. This is the thing that has brought us out of bondage. It's this God, right? And yeah. And, and so, yeah, that's so upsetting. Ugh. All right, Ugh. I'm. That's so good. What, what else? Do you you keep going. You're you're. This is great. I got so, so many things I want to say. I'm just so, not going to say it. So so, there's a lot more to say. But the basic thing is the powers of the government are defined by God. 
the mechanisms for choosing people, what kinds of officers there should be, the separation of powers, the distribution of power across higher and lower courts. So it's not just separation of powers, but there's distinct jurisdictions, right? So we have this idea of states, for example, versus the federal government. And, and those things come out of that principle. of You have separated powers of branches, but you also have the, the distinction in terms of different levels of government and the things like the tribes versus the centralized federation. And so all of those things are blessings that we have enjoyed. And on top of that, the powers of individual types of officers are limited. And so this is the regulative principle the idea that there's no authority except for the authority that we can demonstrate from God's word, that all power is delegated and ministerial. It is a servant's authority. We are not the ones who originate the power. We don't get to author the power. We don't get to invent the powers. The powers are given. And when you're exercising power over the people, who do you want as your servant? Do you want somebody who thinks that they can invent any powers that are expedient? Or do you want a person who believes that they are restrained by the law of God to only exercise power when it's lawfully theirs in the way that God has commanded to the ends that God had commanded by the means that God has commanded. Oh man. Okay. So I want to end this because I, I want to keep this one short. I think everybody needs to be hearing it and I don't want to um, make this a long segment where, you know, this is short. People look at it and, and, and engage it a lot faster, but real quick, and I want to keep pounding this home as much as possible. What you said sounds very appetizing to anybody who reads their Bible and says, wow, real justice, real structure and order. But man, in every aspect that you're talking about, there's no one, there's few people in American society that understand this structure. Like we can barely elect guys like Dusty Devers, right? Uh, right. And, and so... You know, which which way, you know, how does this happen? Because the chaos that's there in the system, the, the way, how far we're, we are away from this, the way when the seculars or even Christians who don't understand what you're talking about are trying to grasp it, trying to figure out, well, how do we get there, what you're talking about? There doesn't seem like another way except for a top-down forcing of this, right? Direct forcing, influence, this is, this is it. We're just going to cut all this, we're going to cut all that. And that's you were going to force people would dominate you into this. Right. And that's what everybody is thinking, because there doesn't seem like th there's any other way to get there. But that's not what you're talking about. So how do you how do you get there with. There, I mean, we got a pastor in one sense defending idolatry and satanic monuments being put for two weeks inside of the state capitol, a pastor mm -hmm. <laughs> like, you know, how did how do you get there? The, the families all but destroyed. The church gone. The civil, I mean, shambles. And everybody now is spending more of their time thinking about the civil side of it than anything else because they want something to come in and, and fix all the other things and put them back into place. But how do you do this? Yeah. So there are um, there are four really basic elements of strategy. If you're going to try to win a war, whether it's a spiritual war or whether it's a physical war, first you have to define the objective so you know where you're going. Okay, we got four O's for the Baptists, by the way. Okay, so there's the first O is the objective. The second O is you have to set up a a process where you can consolidate power to be able to um, gather people. And so you have operational security where you can build out uh, the ability to gather people 
um, you then help to make it so that there is a way of having a system to be able to operate with obedience. Okay, so there's the objective, there's operational security to start building something, and then there's the gathering and setting up obedience, and that includes training and helping people to be competent, and then you go on the offensive. Okay, so objective, operational security, obedience, offensive. You can't win a war without going on the offensive. The offensive makes it so you can take the objectives, right? So that being the case, the Geneva strategy, the thing I've been trying to talk to people about is the process of somebody needs to start casting vision, right? So we got lots of people talking about this stuff. That's great. There's lots of discussion about it. People need to agree about what the objective is, which is a Christian state with Christian churches and, in fact, a covenanted uniformity of the churches, and they need to be Christian households with Christian individuals, Okay, so that's that's what we're trying to accomplish. We're trying to see reformation in all four covenant spheres. So if that's going to happen, what we have to do is we have to rally around people who have resources and knowledge. Hmm. And we need to work with them to build little Genevas. And then those little Genevas need to become projection points. After we've consolidated enough and we have enough capability to work together, we go off. And there is this going on the offensive to project out. So what Calvin did in Geneva, right? He taught the truth. People gathered there. There was enough consolidating and agreement to make it so that they could have a good reformed Christian city. And then from there, they, they, they projected people off to go evangelize. And so one third of the students that studied in Calvin's Geneva at the academy, the Geneva Academy, went to France and died preaching the gospel. Okay, a third of them died in France preaching the gospel. I knew I wasn't going to like this sales pitch. So I'm not saying we need to die. <laughs> I'm not saying we need to die. We need to be. We certainly need to be willing to. And, and in addition to that, and we and if we want to get a Geneva, a Geneva is necessary for us to do that. And in fact, we need multiple of them. Yes, sir. and and civil covenanting is how you. Then you can go from, okay, we're protecting each other in our neighborhoods, and we have a Geneva where we can defend ourselves in a town or in a ghetto or whatever that is. And then you have, imagine those Genevas confederate together, okay? Then you end up with something like the Swiss cantons or the United States of the Netherlands, or you end up with the way that there was an ability for the Puritans to deal with things in England or you end up with the Schmalkaldic League in Germany and their capacity to defend each other. You know, that, that kind of thing, right? And the United States, obviously, of America is an example of the colonies confederating together to be able to resist a tyrannical usurping parliament and king. And so what we need to do is to realize that this is how it's done. Civil covenanting is how it's done. And we don't just get to, we don't go straight to civil covenanting. There's a lot of That's theology right. that goes behind it. So individuals need to have the courage to live lives of obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ, and you're going to do it imperfectly, and you're justified by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, and it's not by your obedience that you obtain the favor of God, but God uses imperfect obedience coming from faith to bring blessing, and he subdues all sorts of wickedness. And so we need to talk about these things. We talk about the gospel and talk about the law. And in applying the law, we're applying the instruction manual of how to exercise dominion. And so these institutions, get yourself in order, get your house in order, see your church in good order, see it confederated with other churches so that it is Presbyterian rather than Baptist, and then make sure that you see a civil covenant that's also confederated. And Baptists, you have to wrestle with the problem of succession in the church, deal with it. <laughs> Go baptize your kids if you have children.
And I just set me up for that. That's really good. David, any last words before we go? Or did you just say all of them? That's it. Thank you for having me on. It's an honor to be here, and I'm glad I could find more people to make me uh, their enemy. <laughs> you know, I was looking to send you a text message, but I couldn't find David Reese in my phone. You know what I found instead? What? The Strawberry Zwingli. <sighs> that makes sense. <laughs> that makes sense. And I think you got a little blood on your face, so we'll see how that goes. You might have to clean some of that off. <laughs> hey, thank you, brother. Really appreciate it. Okay, tell everybody where they can go find this nice setup again. ArmoredRepublic.com. You can check it out. we got some pretty neat deals going on right now for our No King But Christ campaign for December. And uh, Oh, uh, oh yeah. that A3. The A3 fit in here? Uh, the, the A3 does fit in there. I, I don't know what you – I can't remember what you got in there already, but uh, they might – does it feel light? I mean, it may be the A3 you've already got. I can't remember. I'm sorry. No, I don't think the A3. No, because I don't think you guys that came out with the A3 yet. When you I don't know. I'll have to, I'll, I'll, you'll have to tell me what it is. We'll look at it later. Let me know yeah, what you yeah, got. Yeah, this is. Anyway, it's comfortable. I know that it can stop green tip. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I know that. Man, appreciate you and everything you're doing. Um, I can't tell people enough. Go over. David, I'll let you go because I know you got to run. I'll just say some more things and then um, do what you got to do, man. Appreciate your time. Thanks, brother. Uh, if you can go over to the link is inside of the messages and the in on Facebook and on YouTube um, and everywhere that uh, this is streaming, go listen to the whole series that we've been talking about. These are so good. Uh, David is fantastic. He knows the stuff inside and out. He's been thinking about it. He's been working through it, and his ability to be able to spin a turn. Oh, look at this! I got it out here. It's awesome. It's really awesome. Yes, that's really, there we go. All the, if you can't see this, I'm blowing up stuff. The uh, uh, response things on Facebook or Apple is just <laughs> taking over because I talk with my hands a lot. Anyway, um, go to the link and listen to all the Civic Covenant conversations. They are fantastic. He's He can verbalize this so well. The things that I like stutter over and I can't say well, he's already got like three points for this, four points. For, he's going to hate me for saying this. He, pre- he talks like a Baptist preacher where he's got a point for everything. <laughs> he's going to hit me for that one. Anyway, um, Puritan Reform PHX. Puritan Reform PHX. You can go hear his sermons there as well. All right. And last but not least, my lovely, my lovely sponsor. I love my sponsor. You know, there's few people who make mugs so good that it makes the drink in them taste so much better. I'm telling you, if you haven't gotten one of these mugs from um, newhearttreasures.com, Hannah over there, she not only will send you some amazing gear and stuff like this, they got all kinds of stuff. I mean, shirts. My wife, she sent my wife a shirt. Oh, and that shirt has my kids' names on the sleeve. It is so cool, and it looks good on her, too. I'm telling you. She's got all kinds of stuff. newhearttreasures.com. Bible verses that need to be on your wall. She's got stuff like that for framing all kinds of great stuff. Uh, Go check her out. She's a sponsor of this show. She's a young girl, 18, 19, and she spent her own money to start her own business. And I just want to support her. So if you want to wish Hannah a Merry Christmas, go over to newhearttreasures.com. And if you just need prayer, fill out a little note thing. Her and her family will pray for you. All right, guys. Hope you have a very Merry Christmas. May the Lord God bless you real good. Go get the app Pub TV at your app store and you can download the high quality audio versions of this show and the many others. Don't forget to go baptize your kids. This is Knox.